0: I started off in news journalism, so I I started off in local papers, then I worked for The Guardian for 17 years. The first half of that time at The Guardian was just news, and then the second half was as gardening editor. Uh, I left two years ago to go freelance, and now I write for lots of different people, and I make a podcast about houseplants. And um, it's fantastic to be able to sort of mix and match, really.
1: That was Jane Perrone, who joins us on the podcast today. We had a fantastic chat about all things uh, gardening and her love for houseplants as well. Um, a really, really good chat. Um, I've always been a massive fan of houseplants, but I don't tend to, to grow many. And certainly after chatting with her, um, I've been inspired to, to have another go at it, really. I tend to do most of my gardening outside. Um, so, yeah, we've uh, finished uh, BBC Gardener's World. Um, went really, really well. Um, and if we saw you there, thanks a lot for coming. Um, yeah, fantastic uh, exhibition. Always nice to do that one. Some really, really keen gardeners in that part of the world. Um, yeah, fantastic uh, show. So the next la- and last one we got this year is Hampton Court. So if you haven't seen us at any of the shows, um, definitely pop up and see us at Hampton Court, which is beginning of July. Uh, but like I said this uh, conversation is mainly about houseplants, but we talk about all things. So without further ado, let's start the podcast.
0: You're listening to Plants and Me The podcast that is all about plants, gardening and the people who are passionate about them With your host, Alan Lodge
1: Welcome to the podcast, Jane.
0: Thank you very much, glad to be talking to you
1: Yeah, it's really nice of you to join us The sun's actually coming through the window right beside me, how's it with you?
0: It's lovely. It's a fresh, sunny morning. I could do with some rain, though. I could really do with some rain. And I know lots of people, perhaps who aren't gardeners, will kind of curse me for saying that, but it's been <laughs> such a dry spring uh, oh. where I am in Bedfordshire. So, yeah, I want some water, please.
1: Fill yeah, up my water
0: butts and stop me having to... I've been watering things already, which seems incredible, given that it's the um, beginning of May. But there we go. That's what the weather throws at you.
1: Yeah, definitely. And we don't tend to actually do a huge amount of watering outside uh, before Chelsea. It seems to be the tipping point. But this year, like you say, we've had virtually nothing.
2: Yeah,
0: yeah, it, has, it is a very alarming and uh, doesn't bode well for the rest of the summer. Who knows? I mean, the weather can, can change on a knife edge and we could be fed up with rain in a couple of weeks. So who knows? But uh, yeah, at the moment, I would be very keen to have some rain. I will do a rain dance if we get, if we get a few good downpours. <laughs>
1: Excellent, um, so tell us a little bit about you and your life in plants
0: Oh gosh, well, um, so I always say that I am a journalist who has a passion for plants As opposed to a horticulturist In other words, I trained as a journalist, so that's my profession But I, alongside that, I do have a, a lifelong love of plants I was sowing parsley seeds when I was very little And I had a lot of houseplants um, over the years as most people do, probably in my twenties was my leanest plant period um, when I was living overseas and things. But as soon as I had my own place in the UK, I started strongly back into um, into growing and gone into composting and have ended up doing all sorts of things in the world of horticulture and, and having the pleasure of writing about it and making podcasts about it, which is tremendous fun.
1: And is that uh, that takes up most of your time? You're writing in your podcast at the moment.
0: That's right, yeah. So I started off in news journalism. So I I started off in local papers, and I worked for The Guardian for 17 years. The first half of that time at The Guardian was just news, and then the second half was as gardening editor. Uh, I left two years ago to go freelance, and now I write for lots of different people, and I make a podcast about houseplants. And um, it's fantastic to be able to sort of mix and match, really. And, you know, the only trouble is it is a bit of a conflict between Time I need to spend writing about plants and doing podcasts about plants, which obviously pays the bills, and the time I actually get to do things with plants in my own garden and in my own house. So that's always a bit of a tricky one. But at this time of year, but sometimes you just have to stop what you're doing and go and go and water something because you, you realise that your kind of plants have run out of water or your herbs are dry and you've just got to change it straight straight away so it, it, it's great fun and they both feed one into the other which is what the lovely thing about it
1: Excellent and before we, we hit record uh, you mentioned you'd been doing the podcast since uh, early 2017 now in my experience at the very least and you might disagree that's really before the last boom in houseplants which we're sitting in at the minute. Um why what yes. made you do well, houseplants?
0: That's a really good question. Well, it was very much because So I did a podcast about gardening at The Guardian with Alice Fowler as my co-presenter, which I love doing. So Grow Repeat, it was a brilliant experience. I loved doing it. I was already into podcasts by that point. Um, And when that ended and wasn't going to continue, I was still working at The Guardian when On the Ledge, my houseplant podcast started. But I just wanted to do another podcast and I could see at that moment that houseplants were beginning to be on the rise. It was a kind of a strategic decision, and I thought "There there aren't any podcasts on this subject, but it was also very much something that came from the heart because, as I said, I have been growing houseplants since I was very little, and I've always had a love for them. And at a time in the past when people would sort of look at you askance because you were into, into growing houseplants. Now it's kind of, it's, it's the in thing. But, you know, for many years, I was very much an outlier in loving houseplants and wanting to grow them. So it was something I just wanted to talk to other people about and infuse other people about. And luckily enough for me, the trend has continued to grow exponentially, which has been perfect timing for the success of my podcast. Mm-hmm. And I just love the community that's built up around it and the way that I have so many listeners who are so passionate and are doing incredible things with their plants, way beyond my skills or, or abilities to do. Um, it's so wonderful to see what people are creating and, and the wonderful, passionate community that there is around, around indoor gardening. Mm,
1: yeah, definitely. And I've always said to lots and lots of people, I think that um, house plants, or, or maybe maybe potentially avocados, are one of the real um, potential. Uh, what's the way of putting it? One of the real potential boosts from Instagram. Um, now that's certainly where I noticed this massive rise in house plants. Would you agree with that?
0: Definitely yes. I think Instagram is the most popular platform for my social media uh, in terms of houseplants, and it is huge on social media, there are a number of reasons for that. I think partly houseplants is quite, I don't know if you've ever tried putting your garden or, or a veg patch or whatever on um, Instagram, but it's actually quite hard That's to capture hard. something mm like uh, I was trying to take some pictures of my one of my raised beds today and it's really hard to capture it. And in person, it looks lovely. It's a bit mad, but it does look lovely. Uh, whereas, uh, whereas a house plant, an, an individual houseplant or a group of house plants, you can fit into the Instagram square and make it look incredible. And I think that's one of the reasons why houseplants on Instagram has, has really worked. Also, the generation that tends to be into Instagram, I hate the term millennials, but sort of the younger generation that's into Instagram also generally don't have outside space. Um, so they are doing all their gardening indoors. And so naturally, they're going uh, to put onto Instagram the things that they're doing indoors in terms of plants. And that's why we're seeing so many incredible um, Instagram accounts based around houseplants, which is wonderful.
1: Mm, yeah, definitely. And um, I remember talking to someone, I'm, I'm a keen runner, um, and they were saying in the UK, you get this up and down of, of people taking part in, in running because of the weather. Um, because mm. through certain periods of time they won't actually be running because it's horrible, it's icy, it's rainy, etc. And I think gardening sometimes for people who are new to it, actually that causes a problem because you can get into it maybe this time of year with beginning of May um, and then actually come the autumn it's, oh, I don't really want to go outside, whereas houseplants <laughs> don't have that same issue.
0: That's very true. It is is a year-round thing, and there are seasonal houseplants that people get into, and certainly in the wintertime, it can be a wonderful refuge to come inside and tend your houseplants when it's freezing cold outside. I quite like gardening in the winter. I have a lady who comes to help me with my garden every couple of weeks because nobody else in my family is interested in gardening, so there's some jobs and things that I can't do on my own. So Jo comes along and helps me, and she said to me when she first started, oh, Um, you know, are you going to want me to come in the winter? And I said, yes. I mean, of course, that's the key. That's a really key time. And she said, Oh, I'm just asking because lots of my clients say, Oh, I don't want you to come in the winter. But obviously, you know, gardeners know there's a heck of a lot to do in the garden in winter. But if you don't have an outside space, um, you know, I can see the attraction of having that of the plants inside. Uh, it's warm and cozy, and you can get on with tending your plants
2: um,
0: at, in the comfort of your own home, which is a wonderful thing too. Um, but I do, I I think if I I I do love having the outside space too because I am very much an outdoor person. If I can get outside,
2: um,
0: I will be outside. So sometimes my houseplants do tend to suffer a bit in the summertime because <laughs> I'm busy outside.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, so you're obviously. Seeing- into houseplants, uh, you're a big advocate for them. If someone hasn't got any houseplants uh, whatsoever, where do they start?
0: That's a really good question. I think there's a number of different ways of looking at it. Lots of people will go into a garden centre or a nursery and they'll just look at this display of houseplants and they'll be drawn to something. And some people are drawn to spiky cat's eye or huge leaves, Swiss cheese plants or beautiful orchids and i think partly it's a question of seeing what appeals to you and really draws you in and makes you think wow that's incredible because if you buy a plant and you're sort of feeling like uh, it's okay you're really not going to take that much care of it because you're you you have not got a passion for it so i think it's partly about finding which plants really turn you on that said Impulse buying is dangerous because if you go in there and you buy something without any knowledge of what kind of conditions it needs, then uh, you're much more likely to kill it once you get it home. Mm. So, I mean, I'm slightly contradicting myself here. I think you need to find what you're passionate about, but also do some research and find out what kind of conditions those plants need, um, because it, it's easy for me to say, oh, well, grow orchids because they're really, I find them really easy, moth orchids and phalaenopsis orchids. But for somebody else in a different house with a different, um, a different lifestyle, orchids might be really hard. That said, there are a few plants which are very, very easy and shouldn't, aren't particularly fussy about their conditions. I mean, one of the ones that is really really popular and is a very popular office plant for good reason is one called the double Z plant or Zamiococcus Zamifolia mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, which is a great name and this is a kind of a stiff architectural plant with glossy green leaves it comes from central Africa and is a very strong growing plant and it will survive in pretty much well more or less full sun or in quite deep shade so it's very very tough and um is a lovely architectural plant you just need to make sure that you uh repot it occasionally because it has such powerful roots it can bust out of pots if you don't repot it but that's a wonderful plant and it's often successful for for people who've, who've not grown plants before then there's things like the pothos which are the trailing um members of the epipremnum uh, family and you'll often see these if you go into i don't know barbers or lots of trendy clothes shops have got them now um either trailing or being allowed to climb up something they've got kind of quite such fleshy leaves so they don't need to be watered a huge amount um but they're really really easy and they will just clamber over things and and not worry if the air is a bit dry, which is a problem for some other houseplants. So those are two ones I would say are a good one to start with. But as I say, it's really finding something that that makes you want to care for it as opposed to just thinking I'm going to stick it on a shelf and forget about it, mm. which is the death
1: knell of many a house plant yeah definitely and um, I always find it quite interesting and, and potentially uh, I'd, I'd never be an advocate for someone getting a plant and um, not exactly letting it die that's not not the right uh, way of putting it but it's quite interesting how we approach things like cut flowers where we expect them to to last for a short period of time but then a house plant uh, which often will be cheaper than a bunch of cut flowers people are afraid to have a go at
0: Yeah, you're so right. And, you know, it's funny, I think there's a different cultural atmosphere in the UK as opposed to, say, mainland Europe and the Netherlands, where there they will... Buy, they buy a lot more houseplants than we do. And when they buy them, they they take care of them, but they see them as a temporary thing. They see them as something they might have in their home for six months or a year. And then they'll buy a new one and get rid of that one. Whereas I think in the UK, people tend to <laughs> sort of like, they'll buy a houseplant and they'll be expecting it to still have it in 20 years. And they'll say, oh, okay, I've got this houseplant. It's not looking very well. How can I? And it's a dead stick. And you think <laughs> just... It, you know, put it on the compost heap and get another one. Um, so there's different kind of cultural norms as to how we look after houseplants. Obviously, I would encourage everyone to try to take really good care of your houseplants because some of them can live for. I've got houseplants that are well over 20 years old. But at the same time, you know, it's not the end of the world if you kill a houseplant. I have killed many houseplants, and it's how you learn what you're doing wrong mm. and inevitably with some plants you'll, you'll kill them more quickly than others
2: <laughs> but
0: um, that's a great way of learning if you kill a plant and you realise ah oh, okay so it doesn't like the fact that I've been pouring water on it every day and the next plant you get hopefully you'll learn from that and treat it a little bit differently mm. but I, I sort of encourage people not to be scared of killing plants because as you say they're actually really good value for money um, you know you can pick up house plants really cheaply less than the bouquet of flowers so if it does give you six months' joy and then pops its clogs over winter, then that's not a bad deal on your investment, really.
1: Yeah, definitely. And I was um, a very, very famous uh, coffee chain and spent uh, £4.50 on a latte, um, which because I was quite tired. Um, and actually, <laughs> um, I'd always encourage people to go to independence. But at, at Tesco's, I could have picked up two houseplants for that price.
0: Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I I too like to sort of champion the independence. What I also say is, you know, ask around friends, look online. There are houseplant swap groups on Facebook and websites that offer you the chance to swap houseplants just for the price of postage with other enthusiasts, cuttings and unusual plants. And that's a wonderful way to increase your collection and learn about plant propagation uh, in, a, in a kind of a very low cost way and that's how a lot of people get their collection started so that's definitely worth looking at I agree with you it's, it's really good to encourage um, and promote and support the independent growers because you know there is there is something to be said for the you know the, the house plant that you pick up in the big box store mm. or the supermarket, but generally what you find with those plants is that they've been grown very, very quickly and under absolutely perfect conditions in Dutch, huge Dutch greenhouses which are completely automated and computer controlled. So when they, you get them home to your house, they have a bit of a shock. Mm. <laughs> so your cheap house plant sometimes is a false economy in that that plant kind of find it difficult to adapt to your conditions which will be not as great as the greenhouse less light probably drier air more erratic watering and so it's a challenge with those kind of plants if however you get a plant from a friend or you propagate your own plant or as I encourage my listeners to do you can grow some house plants from seed that way you're getting a plant that from the get-go is adapted to living in a home and sometimes that means you end up with a better plant that will last longer and be, be better adapted to your conditions.
1: Yeah, there's no doubt about it. And and to be honest, if you're buying a plant that really doesn't work in your environment, there's nothing worse than, it doesn't matter what you're doing, there's nothing worse than a failure first time. It's nice to succeed to begin with.
0: Exactly. That's very true because a lot of people will give up after one, one attempt and they kill something. You think, well, oh, I've got a lot of black thumb. I can't do it. And you know, that really isn't true. It's just you haven't got the right conditions and you haven't got the right information. Um, but it, you, if you can succeed with a few simple plants, then it really gives you confidence to go on and try other things.
1: Mm. And I'm lucky enough to talk to um, some very, very accomplished gardeners um, and us ourselves. We uh, we go to Chelsea and Hampton Court and things like that. So we're, uh, we're professional growers. But generally speaking, we do get quite a lot of failures, um, especially if you're trying to push the boundaries and grow something where maybe you're not sure it's going to work or something brand new to the country or brand new to you. Um, so people shouldn't be afraid of something not working quite right because generally speaking, it's not often their fault.
0: Yeah, that that's good to hear. <laughs> it's good to know that the professionals have failed too <laughs> because uh, for us mere mortals, um, you want to hear that, uh, that that there are problems in the professional world too that uh, sometimes mean that you don't get a, any, a good outcome from things. But yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, in, in every realm I would encourage people to try something new and different and not to stick to, you know, to, to look beyond the kind of, I mean, it's it's a great starting point. You know, you can go into Wilkinson's now and you can get an amazing range of seeds. But once you've kind of got past that point, I really encourage people to look beyond the obvious. Mm. So, you know, and also to think about what they're actually going to, when they're growing outside and, or even indoors as well, what you're actually going to be, what you're trying to get out of it. So, you know, for example, with growing um, food, edible crops, I sort of say to people, well, why are you growing you know, five rows of potatoes and five rows of leeks when you told me that really nobody really likes leeks in your family. <laughs> and they sort of say, well, they it's what I'm supposed to grow. And you sort of say, well, no, nobody, you can grow whatever you like and grow the things that you love to eat and that maybe you don't aren't easily accessible in your local supermarket. And that way, the, the level of satisfaction I get from growing stuff that I think wow I could never buy this in the supermarket um is, is i get ridiculously smug about it <laughs> so, um I find that very satisfying and I think that's that's one of the things I would you know encourage people to do is to to use incredible resources online to find some really interesting new things to grow. Whether it's houseplants or herbs or or um vegetables, there's just some amazing stuff out there and you know, seek out those really um those really good suppliers who can supply you with interesting stuff.
1: Yeah, definitely. And um are you growing anything weird and unusual at the moment?
0: Always. <laughs> well I've just been I've just been doing my um just been putting on Instagram some um shots of my I have two raised beds which mostly contain perennial vegetables I don't really grow a lot of annual vegetables now because
2: um,
0: I don't have an allotment anymore I used to have one but um, I don't have one now and so I don't have a lot of time or space for growing annual veg so most of my veg are perennials which people kind of raise an eyebrow at but I love growing perennial vegetables because they're so easy and productive and provide me with things that I just can't buy anywhere else so in the spring I was enjoying um, fourth sea kale, which is, again, you're never going to buy that in Tesco, (laughs) Uh, which is a wonderful um, crop, uh, you know, very, very limited. Like, you know, I might have got sort of three meals out of it, but it's a wonderful, if you're into, if you're into your food, the chance to eat something that's come straight out of your ground that's really unusual and special is is a wonderful thing. So I like a bit of sea kale. The other thing that I'm always championing, and people, again, raise an eyebrow when I say this, but there is a a pot herb called Good King Henry, Chenopodium bonum henricum. I don't just grow it because it's got a cool Latin name, but that, <laughs> but that is um, one of its advantages. And um, people often dismiss this plant because they say that it's very bitter. Hmm. But my friend Alice Fowler it, explained to me a few years ago why, how to deal with this. And what you do with Good King Henry, it's a, it's a spinach substitute, basically. I mean, it was around in this, this country before spinach was, I think.
2: <laughs> but, I think um, you're right, yeah. It,
0: but you basically pick it, pick the leaves when they're young and tender, and you just put them in a massive bowl of heavily, heavily salted water for an hour or two, and it draws out all the bitterness in the leaves, and it makes the most wonderful cooked green. I think it's tastier than spinach, it's nutty, it's really nutritious, and it's a wonderful plant. So I grow a lot of that, because I just love eating it. Um and But most people won 't recognize it, won 't know what it is, won't know what to do with it,
2: um,
0: but I just love it. Um, what else uh, things like Welsh onions, um, Egyptian walking onions there are so many cool perennial onions in the onion family that you can grow really, really easily so that you've got spring onions, bunching onions, onion bulbs, without having to sow onions annually. So I love all of the un- the onion family um, what else um, one, another one that I've also been growing the last few years, not a perennial, but a very unusual vegetable brassica from China is called uh, February orchid. Now, I can't pronounce the Latin name. <laughs> um, I can give it to you after. It begins with an O. Fragmus okay. violaceus. I might be completely wrong with the pronunciation of that. But it's a brassica from, that's grown widely in China. It's not an orchid. And it doesn't really flower in February in my garden, but it's a spring um annual that self seeds around and it looks rather like honesty with purple flowers mm. and um green leaves. The leaves don't really look like the honesty, but the flowers do and you can eat the whole thing. you can eat the flowers, you can eat the the leaves either raw or cooked, and it tastes like a brassica, basically it tastes like mild mild cabbage or something like that. And it just self seeds around, and it's beautiful and really easy. Um, It's it's basically unknown. So I love growing that because people just go, what is that? And then you sort of pick off a bit and eat it, and they're, what? (laughs) So that's a fun one. Um, And that's available. The only place I've seen to buy that is is a company called Brown Envelope Seeds who are based in Ireland who sell that. But once you've sown it once, it seeds about, and you've got it forever which is wonderful i love those low maintenance crops that produce like that it's wonderful
1: yeah definitely and i think that leads more to how people are living their lives as well um i think uh when it comes to gardening you have to be a little bit practical and say i've got x amount of time or I haven't got any time um and stuff like that perennial uh, edible crops are, are a great way of cutting down on the amount of work you've got to do
0: Exactly. I mean, you know, I have had an allotment. I've done the hard graft. It is hard graft. You know, people take on an allotment, and think, oh, this is going to be fun, but you know, you need to commit to being down there. You know, half a day every weekend and in the in and some evenings to really make it work. And and a lot, you know, lots of people. Just find that they don't have the time. They get disappointed because they've failed. So I always sort of recommend people to, you know, start with start simple and build up gradually. Don't take on something massive that is then going to disappoint and you're going to feel like you're a failure. Start small and then build up from there. And that way, hopefully, you can. Find your way, what works for you, the, the crops that you like, the crops that you like to eat and your family likes to eat, and things that can be done sort of quickly and easily. I mean, I never sow anything in rows. I'm very much kind of a sprinkle kind of person. <laughs> so I'm sure, like a you know, an old school a lot would look at my raised beds and go, that's a complete mess. But it's kind of almost a bit of forest gardening in that there's not a lot of bare soil in the spring and summer. And so there's not a lot of chance for weeds to grow where things self seed around. Uh, If there's anything that's in the wrong place, I can just pluck it out. But generally, the space is filled, and there's loads of pollinators coming in to feast on the flowers. Um, The other one that's been a huge success over the winter, because we've had a mild winter, is coriander. Mm. And I literally just get a big bag of coriander seeds from the supermarket,
2: um,
0: sprinkle them about, throw, throw them on the bed and allow the seedlings to come up. And that because coriander is a is a cool season crop really, it does Really well in the mild winter, and I've just had so much coriander so i 'm going to let that go to seed and and flower set flower and set seed, and then that that seed will fall and it'll germinate, and i 'll have more so um, that's and the same with flat leaf parsley um, and things like that so you can you can make your life really easy if you if you sort of go about it the right way and cheap cheap as well i mean you don't need to buy uh, you never need to buy the seed again once you 've let itself seed around so that's a that's another that's another one that I've been loving this year. I've had a lot of a lot of curries with fresh coriander
1: on them. Yeah, you can't beat that. Really, really, uh, it's mm. a lovely part, and it's a. Um, I think you're right about it being a. Well, you're definitely right about it being a a cool climate crop. Being a, a herb grubber, growing it in the summer is an absolute nightmare. Oh yeah.
0: Yeah, in the summer, I mean, in the summer, I very rarely get much coriander at all in terms of leaf. It's just I'm allowing it to go to seed and harvesting some of the seed. Yeah, it's a nightmare. <laughs> but this time, this over the winter, and I didn't, normally I put a cloche or something over it. I didn't put anything over it because it was mild and it just kept coming and kept coming. It's been amazing. So I, I just love coriander. And, and I also, the other thing I must mention uh, in terms of the herbs, and I'm, I'm sure you've got a huge expertise on this. I just love growing mint. Sure. I think... i I love having tons of mint and again i encourage people to look beyond the obvious you know like peppermint there are so many cool mints out there um this is when i start going a bit nuts but i just love learning uh, growing different kinds of mint and and um in pots i should say because they do like to Mm. spread themselves around uh but i think that's a wonderful thing and you know if you can convince people you know i've got mojito mint you can say ah this can go in your cocktails um and again that can draw people into something and go, Ah, I'm yes, I'm into cocktails and making my own cocktails. I want to learn what herbs I can put into my cocktails as a fresh ingredient. So um, that's a wonderful thing to do.
1: There is a massive amount of mint. So it's interesting you say about um, the pots. Um, you'd be quite surprised, or, or lots of people are very surprised, how often, uh, specifically at flower shows, although we do get emails about it, how many people really struggle to grow mint, and they're putting them in pots, and they're, they're just dying. It's it's quite surprising. We've never really got to the bottom of it entirely. Mm.
0: Yeah, I think with what I find with mine is that I, you know, you have to repot them every year because they, those roots will just go round and round in circles until the plant seems to strangle itself. Mm. I find if I take them out of the pot and literally hack the roots apart, um, and then I'll often, um, um some of those that will go to propagate to give to other people, um, uh, but, but really keeping those roots kind of from getting root bound is, seems to be crucial to me to success with, with mint. It's just a once a year job to, to do that. But, um, yeah, no, I mean, I have, I have, I have to say I have killed a couple of mints and I think it's probably in, in, a, in most cases, it's the combination of being root bound and the resulting Lack of absorption of water mm. and, and lack of watering just means that if they dry out, they don't like it. Um, but, um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm currently raising a lot of herbs for, um, I'm doing, I'm involved in a community herb garden where I live. It's uh, um, uh, It's open, you can walk, it's on actually on a roundabout, so you can kind of walk through it and people can come and pick herbs Um for their use, and we have an open day every year. So I'm just raising a load of herbs for that, and we've had some. We've bought in some plug plants which we've been raising, but I've also been taking cuttings of lots of weird mints for people to grow, and um, again, picking 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 up um, little self seeded corianders and flat leaf parsley as well, and potting them up. Um, to Hopefully, really enthuse people about the wide range of herbs that are available, but that might not be obvious. The other one I've just been Putting on my Instagram is a uh, loveage. I love I love loveage. Um, <laughs> such an architectural plant. I mean, mine's probably about two or three feet tall now, but it'll probably get to six feet tall by the end of the summer. And just such a wonderful, tasty plant that produces beautiful flowers and is great for pollinators. So that's my other, that's my other recommendation is to get into lovage. The one herb, I've, two herbs, actually two herbs I've not been able to grow and I think it's probably because my soil is too dry. Perhaps you can advise me. Mm. I've struggled with angelica and I've struggled with sweet sicily. I think that's because my soil is very dry and free draining. Is that, does that
1: sound right? That does sound right. And uh, the interesting thing, uh, not so much with angelica, but sweet sicily is quite a, a tricky... Plant to grow. It. Are you growing it from seed or from
0: a? I've tried growing it from seed. I've tried growing it from plant <laughs> plants, and that both times it's kind of like, "Where's that sweet Sicily gone?" Oh, damn, <laughs> it yeah. died. I think it's just I've got, as I say, I've got very, very, very free-draining soil. It's, it's, you know, it, it's very dry, and I think that the sweet Sicily is always struggles in those kind of conditions. It
1: seems. Yeah, definitely. And not trying, uh, not wanting to get too technical, but sweet Sicily as a seed needs stratification.
0: Uh, <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, I mean, I have yeah. I have successfully like I've got it to the point of uh, I've done the stratification cold right. stratification mm-hmm. um, and got it to the point of seedlings, and then I've lost them as soon as I've tried to transplant them. Or so, yeah. I think that's another one I'm going to have to leave to somebody else. And I know people who, who say oh, I've got a garden full of it, and I'm mm. sort of like, how? Why? Uh, well, <laughs> but again, it goes back to conditions. I think
1: definitely, and it's interesting because uh, we struggle as a nursery to grow sweet Sicily. Um, mm. It's partly because it doesn't really lend itself to to production in in the way cuz obviously Um, whilst nurseries are trying to adapt the conditions and get everything to grow, we need to have it in a setting where we can physically pass it on to someone else. Um, It needs to be in a pot or or something like that. It just doesn't really lend itself to that. Um, It doesn't seem to, I know other herb growers, I mean, hook screen herbs, um, I'm trying to think where they are now, but certainly you'll you'll see them at flower shows everywhere. They do quite well um, with Sweet Mm. Sicily, um, but us down in Essex, uh, maybe it just doesn't like Essex people.
0: <laughs> well, you're very dry in Essex, aren't you? Yeah. I, mean, I think probably similar to, to where I am. Um, my my soil is quite sandy like yours, I think. And I think it's just, that's just the climate that they don't really like. But again, you know, it's not the end of the world. I can live without Sweet Sicily and Angelica. Mm. Um, and there are tons of other herbs that grow brilliantly for me. Um, so it's, you know, I, I'm just, I, I like to give everything a try and, and I want to try Sweet Sicily. But, you know, at the end of the day, I'm not going to beat myself up <laughs> over it. Um, I've got lots of other
2: herbs to grow.
1: Mm. and um just a a few questions that we we ask quite a lot of people we've uh we normally ask people about failures but obviously we've gone into that a little bit anyway um so uh is have you got a particular noticeable uh notable uh failure that you've had uh, in your growing career
0: oh god many 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 um I mean, the probably the saddest one. I had a beautiful sagtorn fern, Platycerium, which was mounted on a what oh, was mounted on, It was mounted on a plaque of some kind, and it was a, it was beautiful. But this is a, the if you're not familiar with it, it's a fern that has um, flat leaves that look a bit like antlers, flat fronds that look a bit like antlers, um, and it's, normal, it's it's an epiphytic plant, so it's new and growing on trees in the wild, so most people have them attached to bark or something. Anyway, it was a beautiful plant, and I put it outside for the summer, and we had an unexpected cold snap and frost, and I killed it, and I was so sad. I was just devastated, because it was such a beautiful plant, and it was just my own failure to to remember to bring it in that, that ended in disaster. So that was a very sad one. Um, I've, I've, you know, there have been many disasters. You know, every year when I do uh, sowing seeds, I mean, this year is the second year I'm doing the houseplant sow along with on the ledge. And I've got two or three things that have not germinated whatsoever. I was trying to grow something called cardboard palm and it might be that it just is a very slow germinator, but nothing There's <laughs> nothing more disheartening than seeing all these rows of seedlings and then an empty tray. <laughs> so, um, but again, that's part of the, the learning curve. I'm, it may be that that plant just isn't for me or I need to just be more patient and something will suddenly pop up. Um, so, yeah, that, things like that. And what else? Um, I think a few times I've grown, got very excited about tomatoes I, I've, over the years, I've grown many weird tomato varieties and I always get very excited about them and sometimes the failure is not in the growing of the plant but then you come to eat it and you think gosh that's the most disappointingly flavored tomato (laughs) I've ever come across I don't know if you've seen this craze for black tomatoes yes um well, I, when I think it's, the flavour has been improved now through breeding, but when I first grew a black tomato, it was it looked so cool, and then I bit into it, and it was just like a kind of the most bland supermarket mm. tomato. And I thought, "Darn, <laughs> the flavour doesn't live up to the uh, to the looks."
1: Definitely, the so breeding has actually, improved. Actually, um, we grow. Yeah, yeah, I
0: haven't tried yeah. the, the the new ones, but I, I have heard that they are better flavoured. Definitely. I can't remember what the original was it Russian black was Russian, Russian
1: the first one but,
0: um, I'm not sure, but um yeah i as I just say I will try them again, and I'm mm. sure they'll be delicious, but that that was that was a big, big disappointment for me <laughs> um <laughs> but um yeah, I think, so I think my failures are many varied and I'm always happy to tell people about them because you know as I say um I, I i don't want to set myself up as some kind of guru who always gets things right because um. Lots of things intervene between you and success along the way with, with gardening. We all know it, whether it's pests or, um, whether it's the weather or our own other lives intervening, um, we're all human beings. So, um, you know, we look at Monty Don or, you know, Alan Titchmarsh and think, oh gosh, I wish I could do that. But, you know, we're not them. We don't have the garden they've got. We don't have the time they've got. And, um, they probably have a lot of failures that we don't see too.
1: <laughs> yeah, definitely, and um, it's it's easy to look at something, and people don't look what's behind it. Um, I don't know about Monty Don uh, personally, but Alan Alan Titchmarsh. Um, again, I I don't know him, but I I um, one of my dad's second cousins went to college with him, so I know for a fact okay. we're talking forty years of experience there, and you can't mm. expect to pick up something in three months that someone has made failures for forty years. Um, it's just just the way it goes. Very true.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that is the, that is a really interesting issue in gardening at the minute. That I think there's a lot of, there's two, there's two, there's two strands. One, one strand is, oh, gardening's really easy, give it a go and try it. Which, and, and yes, it is. I mean, anyone, anyone can give it a go and will have success with certain things. Um, but the, the, the other strand is actually, this is this is an art and a science. This is mm. this is a really thing that people you can spend years studying. And so I am always trying to promote um, people learning and, and acquiring knowledge about plants and about plant science because actually that's how you understand where you're going wrong and what you need to be doing to make plants happy. And you know we shouldn't sort of be embarrassed about our plant expertise and, and our understanding, because that's something that allows us to to succeed in, in what we're doing. Um, I mean, I, I made an episode of my podcast about botanical Latin, and I was thinking, gosh, this is not going to be a very popular episode. No one's going to really want to listen to this. And I looked at my statistics recently, and it's my fourth most popular episode ever out of 92 episodes. So, you know, I think that shows that people have mm. got a real thirst for knowledge and, and want to understand further than oh this is a seed sticking in the ground <laughs> um, they, they really want to um, enhance what they know so that's that's really exciting for me mm,
1: yeah definitely um, and it's yeah it is uh, it is a, a steep learning curve at times without a doubt even like I said for, for professional growers when we go into something new it's, just, it's the same as us um, often people think and there's an element of truth to it you have a background knowledge of plants when you've been growing for a long time but when you go into a new thing, and I've said on the podcast before, it's a bit like if you were, you can't expect to go into a Ford garage and ask them how to, to mend an Audi. And, um, and at times we know as we know a background knowledge, they are going to know the wheels and the engine and all that sort of stuff, but they don't necessarily know all the details. And I, for example, don't know a huge amount about houseplants.
0: Yeah, this is true. I mean, that's right. You can take your base knowledge and kind of apply it, but mm. again, there's always there's always something you need to learn, um, and that's what what I love is is, is that. In fact, uh, funny enough, I'm studying for my RHS level two at the moment, I, oh, really? and, and I've been really impressed by the depth and well the breadth of the syllabus. Actually, you know, I was kind of I was slightly when I went into it thinking, oh, this is going to be easy because you know I've been kind mm. of immersed in this stuff for so long, but actually, like, and obviously. Some of it um, has been easier for me to grasp and and some things I already knew. But also there's an incredible um, um, array of stuff that you need to know. So Mm. that's really surprised me. Um, It shouldn't have done really, but I've I've really been like, gosh, I've got a lot of learning to do. um,
1: (laughs) I've heard lots of people have, have had similar reactions to you, actually.
0: Yeah, it's. I mean, you know, I've been doing the past papers and thinking, "Oh gosh, um, this is you know, this is challenging." So, um, <laughs> we'll see how I go. On I've got my first set of exams in June. <laughs> we'll see how I get on. I um, but uh, I'm, I'm. I want to, I want to do it because, as I say, I want to be able to feel like I'm giving people good advice, and that my kind of my practical knowledge is backed up with theory as well
1: yeah definitely and um you you mentioned obviously you've been gardening for a very very long time when you uh when you first started doing it is there a a particular book or a particular person uh, that really got you inspired to actually take it up as a career
0: well y- yes there is and um anyone who has listened to my podcast regularly will will be sick of hearing about this but the book that as a child really got me into understanding houseplants was um, the houseplant expert by Dr. David Hesseon, well known to anyone who's ever been into a, a gardening section of a bookshop. Um, these best-selling books by um, this guy who's, who's written about everything from lawn care to, to orchids to uh, vegetables in this famous series of books. Really still to this day, the houseplant expert for me, and I still have my original copy with all my childish scrawls in it, is it, just, such a brilliant book because it's so clear and not, there's a few plants that have come in and started to be grown since that book but it really is still stands as for me as a house plant bible um, and it's been updated through the years as well so there are more recent editions with more plants and more information but I just love the clear diagrams and the pictures and the information and the way it's laid out It's now looking at it it seems kind of old hat design wise but for me the information still stands as being excellent and I, that book as a child just took me on journeys I was you know funnily enough, I've just recently grown or started planting my first Coladiums, which is yeah. um a plant that I first read about in the house expert, a good. Well, probably like thirty, thirty to thirty-five years ago. Um, so that's, uh, and I've been wanting to grow that plant since then, and I've only just got around to growing it. So it's still inspiring me to this day, which is fantastic.
1: Excellent. Um, yeah, it's a, a very, very famous book, as you know. We've we've got a copy downstairs, actually. Um, Good. So, yeah, well, yeah. I mean,
0: I, I'm still, you know, lots of my listeners have bought, I mean, the, the copy, the edition that I actually recommend is the one called the gold-plated house plant expert, which is a bigger, expanded edition. And, uh, you know, lots of readers end up going into charity shops and thrift stores and online to buy a copy because I've recommended it. And are they, I have to say most of them are not disappointed because it, it still stands. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, uh, I would love to interview Dr. Hesse, but unfortunately he's retired from public life now, so I haven't had the chance. But I have spoken to people who work with him that said, you know, he he's just a very clever man in coming up with this idea for this series of books, which is... To this day, remains kind of a bit of a bible for many people.
1: Yeah, definitely. And I think that's um, that's a really uh, good time to to thank you for, for joining us on the podcast. It's, it's been really interesting talking to you, and um, you've uh, given us some amazing tips and and things there. And um, and it's interesting to see your your passion. Um, it's really good.
0: My pleasure. Yeah. i've nothing better than talking about plants
1: no so uh if people want to find out more about you obviously you do a podcast which you mentioned where's the best place that they can go to to find out more about you
0: uh well it's quite simple my podcast my, my podcast my website is at com, and there you'll find my podcast and my blog and information about me and uh, everything you might desire to know about me and uh, there's also my dog features a little bit as well if you're to dogs. He, he's my podcast mascot. Uh, so com is the place to go for all the info. And I'm also on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook, but start with the website and you won't go far
1: wrong. Brilliant. Well, thank you very much. It's been really nice of you to join us. Um, and let's hope we get a bit of rain for you. <laughs> <laughs>
2: thank you very much.
1: Brilliant. Thank you. See you soon. Bye.
0: Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us on the Plants and Me podcast. We'll be back soon. If you can't get enough of all things plant-related, pop over to plants-uk.co.uk. And if you enjoy our podcast, don't forget to subscribe and rate us.